Sports are back. Save 40%. Pretty simple stuff, isn't it? If you're an athletic subscriber, you understand why. If you aren't, well, you should get on the train, especially with the National Hockey League about to start an unprecedented run to the Stanley Cup in early August. Throw in baseball, NBA, NFL training camps. This is a time you cannot afford to be without an athletic subscription. Don't miss exclusive, in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you don't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage and Eric Dehatchuk. Have you been wearing sunscreen? Because I, I, you must be getting out. You're playing a little tennis. I, I worry about you staying hydrated and wearing sunscreen. It things things good on your end in the Kawarthas? Scotty, I bought a gallon-sized container of sunscreen at the start of the summer, and I have been really good. And, uh, and I'm developing a, a really good tan accidentally because uh, we've had pretty spectacular weather here. In fact, I think the only complaint I have is that I'm so slow getting started in the morning that by the time I get out for a run, the sun is scorching hot. And, and at my advanced age, uh, running in the heat is not uh, not a good thing. But uh, but no worries about uh, about the uh, the tone of my skin. It's uh, it's it's getting to that, um, you know, copper tone stage that used to have in the 60s. It was kind of a cool thing back in the day. Nice. So sort of a George Hamilton kind of look there. Yeah, exactly. So. You remember George Hamilton. That, that's the beauty of doing this podcast with another old guy. References like I that know, are not no lost kidding. on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, uh, Eric, our guest today, uh, if he's done any tanning, I hope he got it in because I'm pretty sure that uh, once the puck drops in earnest, well, we've already seen uh, a couple of exhibition games, but with real hockey on the horizon for Saturday afternoon, August 1st. Uh, Patrick Sharp, three-time Stanley Cup winner, the pride of Thunder Bay, Ontario. My guess is, Patrick, you're not getting outside very often. I, there's no, I don't see much tanning in your future. Could, correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're absolutely right, Scott. I got it in while I could. Uh, <laughs> nice to be on with you guys. Um, it's been a good little summer break for me, to be honest with you. Uh, try to be outside as much as possible. Kids are at home. Uh, with the with the pandemic, the shutdown going on, so once the weather turned, the Sharp family was taking advantage of that, trying to uh, to golf a lot, trying to do family activities, spend some time uh, at the beaches and stuff like that. So I, I was on TV yesterday for the first time in months, and I felt like I did have a nice little glow to me, a new tan, maybe not quite George Hamilton esque, not quite Philadelphia Flyers orange, but a little bit of a glow, and we'll see how long that lasts. Great. Well, listen, before Eric gets in, but uh, Patrick, maybe just uh, get us up to speed then on, 
what happens for you specifically? Because if I understand it, I've been trying to keep up on, uh, you know, there's so many layers to the broadcast machine that will cover a 24 team tournament in two hub cities, all of the stuff that goes into it. It makes my head hurt thinking about it. But my sense of what you're going to be doing is some game analysis in studio as well as some panel sort of bigger picture stuff or what why should i guess why don't you tell us exactly what your schedule is going to be like moving forward well i'll tell you if you knew it i, I know one thing that's <laughs> going to be very busy uh just like all of us at the mbc we got a lot of games to cover a lot of hours on the air uh, any nervousness or anxiety about being live on tv is going to go out the window we're all going to be like like Ryan Seacrest and, and Kelly Ripa at the end of this thing. We're going to have so many hours on TV. It's going to feel normal. But uh, basically the way we're doing it, you guys know the, the schedule of the games. There's games all day long, two different cities. We're going to try to stagger those times. Uh, but as you guys know, overtime throws a wrinkle into everything. Uh, we're going to have two broadcast teams in the studio, uh, day shift, night shift type thing. And, and we're just kind of playing it by ear. So we got all the broadcasters posted up in Stanford. We got the big boys in there. Eddie Olchek's going to come in and call games as the color guy from the Stanford studio, which is going to be probably a challenge for him, but I'm sure he'll knock it out of the park. Doc will be calling games from home. Uh, Eddie will be in studio a little bit. It's going to be kind of play it by ear, and there's going to be lots of things changing off the fly. I know one thing that my wife is happy. I'm out of the house now, back to work. No more uh, bothering her for the last three, four months. I got something to direct my energy towards. I'm looking forward to covering some hockey. It was neat to be back on TV yesterday, get the rust off, and who knows what we're going to see on the ice. It's going to be exciting, though, and, and so far, so good. It's it's looked great in the preseason. Patrick, that was the thing that struck me from watching the games last night. They didn't feel like exhibition games. So, again, you know, when I, when I started doing hockey in the early 80s, some of the exhibition games were actually pretty entertaining because a lot of times they would there would be brawls and there would be players that were tr- would be trying to make an impression on uh, on coaching staffs and managers and 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 sometimes they, they were like real free-for-alls but the reality is NHL exhibitions in the last couple of decades have been you know played in three-quarter time and you can tell that players especially veteran players are, are just trying to get up to speed and not get hurt that looked like real hockey to me yesterday especially Calgary Edmonton oh my goodness uh, there was a part of me that thought, you know, playing Calgary and Edmonton, uh, is that a good idea? But boy, the emotion was high. And, and it, you know, after the fact, I thought, no, that was the perfect tune-up because that looked like real hockey. What was your impression? I know it's a small sample so far, but that, that didn't look like exhibition to me. That looked like everybody was, was, was playing. I felt the same way. I saw a little bit of rust on the players, and I remember being in that situation those first games in a while. Uh, timing with the puck, uh, playmaking ability, hanging on to the puck, unloading it a little quick sometimes. But it looked a little more intense to me than a September preseason game. Uh, the Calgary-Edmonton game was great. There was a lot of scrums, some big hits. You can tell those two teams don't like each other and they both want to get up to speed. And I got a kick out of the Philly-Pittsburgh game. Um, it was pretty free-flowing. couple finished checks, not a whole lot of bad blood. But Brian Dumoulin blocks a shot on the penalty kill on the inside of his ankle. You know, it just reminded me like, okay, we're out here, we're skating, we're getting the body loose, we're playing hockey. Oh yeah, I got to block shots. I got to take hits. I got to protect myself out here. To see him limping around with that sore foot just made me chuckle a little bit. Good to see he was okay, but it's a lot to ask from these players and they're handling it well. They got to get up to speed right away. They don't have the luxury of 
you know, kind of easing into things, take a few games, get that power play going. If you're not ready to go game one, game two in a five game series, you got a pretty uphill battle. So it's not Boston St. Louis 2019 Stanley Cup playoffs just yet, but it'll get there. And uh, it started pretty high yesterday in the exhibition game. So this qualifying round, I think, is going to be full bore right away. Well, see, uh, Patrick, I, I love the I love the format because I it, you know the top teams do get some sort of reward by playing the three game round robin, and I've already, you know I've been listening to the coaches talk about you know splitting goaltending time and you know you know finessing the lineup a little bit, but but you're right, those eight play in rounds are like you just have to start so quickly because there isn't easing into it i wonder as a you know if you if you put your player hat on and think okay how do you approach that kind of dynamic i mean what do you think the biggest challenge is for a player approaching a best of five because again it's out of your comfort zone because you you know, you're used to the rhythm of a best of seven come playoff time. And I wonder what do you think the big, biggest challenge is for those players for those, on those 16 teams? Well, you're right. You're used to the rhythm of a best of seven. You're also used to the rhythm of post-All-Star break hockey. You play about 20, 25 games where all of a sudden the scores are 2-1, to 3-2. Defenses clamp down. Goaltenders get better. Checking lines, checking units get put together. And, and everybody's ramping up towards the playoffs. This is a whole new season. And you got kids that went home for four and a half months, moved back in with mom and dad, digested what they just did through 70 games. Maybe it's their first time through the league. Maybe they're a second or third year player that's trying to get better. This is a whole new season. Now they're coming back as new players. So to pick up where we left off, I, I, I chuckle when I hear people say, oh, Philadelphia's won nine of their last 10 games. It's like, dude, that is long gone. It is a new season. You're going to see players that looked okay in the league, average players, all of a sudden be impact players in these qualifying rounds. So that, to answer your question, if I'm a player going into this best of five, I don't want to be left behind. That's my main focus. Yeah, I'm worried about the team. I'm worried about my buddies. I want to get the team up to snuff, but I want to make sure I'm ready to go because – I don't believe that coaches can afford to sit around and wait. I mean, yeah, we know who your star players are, who you're going to lean on. But if you see somebody that you didn't really pencil in as being an impact player for you that looks good in camp, that's got some legs early on, you got to use whoever's going because uh, I don't think we really know what we're going to see here in this first round. Play your best players, and that's what we're going to end up uh, going with. I know that our correspondent in Vancouver said that he thinks that Quinn Hughes – Looks like a second-year player, not a first-year player anymore. And as good as he was for Vancouver uh, this season, Rookie of the Year uh, finalist, uh, he, he, he just looks more mature. In, in, in a very short period of time, as you say, four and a half months, lots can change. Patrick, I have a question for you, though, about um, about 2013. So one of the things that, that Scott and I did during the pause at The Athletic was we ranked the top 25 teams of all time. And both of us had your Blackhawks team in 2013, even though it was just a 48-game season, as one of the, the greatest teams in NHL history. And my argument for it was that in 48 games, that Blackhawks team did not lose a game in the first half of the season. 21 wins and three overtime losses, which to me is an extraordinary accomplishment. And that's why we both ranked that team that high. But what I thought after reflecting on it when you realized you were going to be the guest was I'm interested in hearing how you got out of the gate so fast because you know you missed the 
early part of the season. It's it's not the same as this, but it's a little bit like that, right? You know, the, you know the, the, there was like a four and a half month gap between October and January when you started, and then you guys hit the ground running and and didn't stop until until the twenty fifth game of the season. So, in your mind, what was it? What were the factors that enabled you guys to just explode out of the gate that year and and just keep going and going and going and, and finally win win the Stanley Cup that year? I think we're still trying to figure that out ourselves, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. Okay. Uh, going back to that time, we won the Cup 2010. Then we lost 10, 11, 12 guys to cap casualties a week later. And those 2011, 12 seasons, we were out in the first round. Vancouver got us one year. The old Phoenix Coyotes, not Arizona, got us in 2012. And then all of a sudden, the league shuts down for a while. A lot of us stayed together. In Chicago, there's about eight of us that skated, you know, three times a week, give or take, maybe more, maybe less, depending on what you're hearing on the startup of the league. We had a lot of guys play in Europe. Patrick Kane went to Switzerland. Brian Bickle was in the Czech Republic. We had a lot of guys skating all the time, playing on competitive leagues over there. Uh, we had a bunch of guys in the minors. Brandon Saad was in the minors. Nick Letty, Brandon Bolig, Marcus Kruger. There's a bunch more, but they all kind of graduated in January up to the NHL. So it felt like we were all in shape. We were all ready to rock. I do remember I started that season on line with Patrick Kane and we're doing line drills. And before we'd even played a game, this was like, I'm talking January 12th, 13th. I think we started on the 15th. I looked at Kaner. He looked at me and we both kind of said like, geez, what, what do you think of our team? Like, are we good? Are we bad? We really didn't know what to expect. <laughs> Little do we know we start the season 24 games without a loss and regulation and, and go on to win the Stanley cup. It was a great team, a great run. I just, if I had to put our, my finger on it, Coaching staff was ready to go. Players were accountable during that lockout. We were in shape. We were practicing at a high level. We didn't really know we were practicing at a high level. We were trying. We were trying to get ready to go. I guess we did it at a higher level than other teams. It was the start of a great run for that group of guys because we had a nice run in 2014 conference finals and then won the cup again in 2015. But there was a lot of question marks. To think that we were the top team in the league that year and two days before the season started, Two forwards on the team are thinking, geez, are we any good? Are we going to win a game? And then we end up starting the way we did. So there's a lot of question marks, and that's what makes this playoff exciting because we can talk about all the top teams. We know who they are. <clears throat> if we picked winners, <clears throat> excuse me, I bet you our brackets would probably look the same, but things are going to change. And you mentioned Quinn Hughes, Eric. He's a player that comes to mind. You know, all these young players, Kirby Doc in Chicago, from everything we're hearing, looks like a, a second-year player now. He's no longer the rookie, right? Connor McDavid's put that injury behind him. He's had a full summer now or offseason to train. He's going to be another level. These are things that we can't really factor in on what we're going to see, and that's what makes it so exciting for me. That's a great answer. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Patrick, for the record, I put that 13 team on the list because I figured at some point I was going to have to call you and ask you to come on the podcast. So I figured, yeah. I figured. Well, let me tell you, Scotty, this is a good opportunity for, for me to tell you about my perfect season that year. I started that year, played every game. I got hurt in game 24 against the Colorado Avalanche, popped my shoulder out. Uh, team loses game 25. So personally, I'm 24 and 0, haven't lost a game. I came back, played a couple games. Shoulder felt okay. We won both those games. Joel says, all right, take the next couple of weeks off, play the last two regular season games and get ready for playoffs. So I did that. We won both games. I finished my regular season 28. No, perfect season, boys. How do you like that? Oh, my God. That is a great <laughs> footnote. That's all right, here's a, post, here's a postscript to that. Who was the leading goal scorer in the playoffs that year? Does anybody remember? Oh, I, I can tell you because I've been telling everybody since 2013. <laughs> I think I had the most on our team, right? 
Patrick Sharp, leading goal scorer in the yeah, NHL that year. So 10, by the way. I did, I did. Patrick, we sometimes even do homework on this podcast, believe it or not. <laughs> nice. It's a, it's, that's the first time someone's actually said that. Normally, it's me reminding everybody that I was the leading goal scorer that year. <laughs> I, I can already see this podcast rating is going to go off the chart. So I'm, I'm feeling good about that. But I, Patrick, you mentioned and a couple, you sort of referred to it a couple times, you know, the coaching staff. And, and you mentioned Joel Quenville. I, I, like, on a personal level, I'm fascinated by there's so many of those playing rounds that I, I honestly can't get my head around and I have, you know, don't have a feel for it. Um, but I am really interested in that Florida New York Islanders playing round because for me, you have one of the greatest coaches of all time, uh, obviously, in Joel Quenville going to the Hall of Fame whenever he decides that he's had enough. And and I think Barry Trotz is going to follow him into the Hall of Fame. I, I, I think he's that good a coach and has that kind of reputation. And they're going to square off in a best of five. And I wonder, what how what is the pressure on the coaching staffs, especially for those 16 teams in the qualifying rounds? Because, you know, in terms of goaltending decisions, in terms of lineup decisions, even line combinations – like we were talking about earlier, you don't get to you don't get to ease your way around. And I wonder, you know, and you know Joel so well from from having won three championships with him. What kind of pressure is on coaching staffs? Do you think moving into this uh, dynamic? I think it always plays a role, Scott. But I think it plays an even greater role in this qualifying round and eventually Stanley Cup playoffs that we're going to watch here in 2020. You know, Joel is a coach that. October to January, I'm not saying players were allowed to do whatever they wanted, but we had a little more free reign to just get into the season. After that All-Star game, you started seeing, all right, this is our five-man checking unit. We're going to center Dave Boland with Keith and Seabrook or whoever it may be, and they're going to go against top lines. We started gearing up towards playoff hockey. Well, that's different now. You know, Yeah, you saw the adjustments throughout the playoffs with Joel Quenville time and time again. It would be a tinker here, line change there. You know, Maybe start darling for a game instead of Crawford that's that's a big one but now those those adjustments they're going to be magnified that much more in a best of five so I mean I'm assuming Bobrovsky's the guy right we've heard a lot about him letting in soft goals I disagree with that I think he's the number one hands down guy you ride him whether he lets in five or not the bigger question is going to be like how much patience do you have in a five game series you know I look at the Panthers Islanders and it's two different styles to me you know Florida's a high pace team they can score goals they can make plays the one thing that hurts them is they have a tough time clearing the front of the net and I know that's like a kind of a nitpicking type thing but I don't know I look at the Islanders they're a counter team in transition and they do some work in the offensive zone how many times have you seen Barzell just skate around the offensive zone and you got some big body whether it's Anders Lee you know Brock Nelson Matt Martin gets to the front of the net I think that's where a lot of the goals are going to be scored uh, but to get back to the original question, yeah, coaching is going to matter. And Trotz versus Quenville, there's going to be tons of adjustments. Two competitive guys. Nobody's more competitive than Joel. He's going to be fired up about this. Uh, what throws a wrinkle in everything is it's not your traditional playoff. It's more like a tournament. It's more like the World Cup, World Championships. Figure out who's going. Because whoever was going in March might not be going whatever month it is today. Patrick, uh, so that's a great answer about tactics. Um, I've, I've got a question about coaches' messaging. And, and what I wonder is, does it change at all going into a, a, a short 
opening round like this? Like, you know, is it even necessary or important for the coach to at the very beginning or somewhere along the line to stress the urgency of this? Or does that go without saying? And, and, and does, some, does the messaging matter at all? Or are the players so accountable and so professional nowadays that, that they don't need somebody to, to narrow the focus by the words that they say going into the series? Well, I think the I think both. I think players are accountable. They're focused. They're in shape. They're ready to go. They know what they need to do individually to get up to that level. But the messaging from coaches, oh yeah, there's definitely been messaging all across the league about how we need to be ready to go starting training camp. So this started weeks and months ago, I'm sure. Like we got to tip our caps, I think, to the league and the players for even getting this all together. I mean, the the amount of decisions and details and logistics that go into it. Just to get us to the studio at NBC is insane. Now to, to get 24 teams to play in a tournament like this is incredible. And everything's different. So I'm sure that messaging has gone out from coaches to players. Hey, we need you to show up in shape. That goes without saying. We need to have an intense training camp. Now, the, the, the fun thing for me is I've, I've kind of kept my eye on a lot of different training camps virtually. I'm catching clips online. I'm watching websites, showing videos. Some training camps... Look like guys are just getting the groins loose and get those hip flexors wound up and just kind of baby steps through training camp. And then I see a team like the Boston Bruins, Brad Marchand, taking a big hit at center ice from his teammate. That's competitive. That's a three-on-three situation. They're they're doing those competition battles in camp. You know, that's going to be curious to see. You know, Boston needs to play that way to be successful. I'm watching some of these exhibition games yesterday. Edmonton looks like a real dangerous team. They're, they're not hitting very many things out there. They're skating. They're making plays. They're dangerous. They're moving the puck. It's it's going to be cool to see which best style wins. You know, at the start of this playoffs, if there's no shutdown, I'm looking at their traditional teams. I look back at last year. It's no surprise to me that St. Louis and Boston got to the Stanley Cup final. Well coached. They've got the skill and the talent to make plays. But more than anything, they're very difficult teams to play against. They can smother you. You're going to get hit if you touch the puck in playoffs. Don't mess around or there's going to be a scrum. There's going to be accountability. You're going to get answered to. Well, I don't know if that's going to be the case, especially in this qualifying round. I expect free-flowing hockey, similar to like end of October, early November of a regular season that we typically see. Guys are starting to sharpen up a little bit, crisp passes, but the details of the game just aren't quite there. That's why I'm leaning on coaches here. The best coach teams, the best leadership within the locker room, whoever can find their team game the quickest will probably have the most success. But again, what what do I know? No, nobody knows what we're going to see. <laughs> uh, Patrick, we're going to let you go in a second here. I think Eric's got uh, one more at least, and I'll, I'll leave you with this then. When you've been looking at training camps and you must have reams and reams of notes as you try and get your arms around 24 teams that you're going to have to keep track of in the coming days, is there a team... That, that maybe you are looking at as a potential dark horse, a, a team that you think just ba- based on the factors you just noted, I wonder if this is a team that's, you know, can win a round or two or could go to a conference final or maybe come, you know, surprise a bunch of us. Um, and I, I wonder if there are teams that you are specifically looking at in that, in, in, in through that prism. Yes, for sure. There's a team. If, if I had to, wager on who I think is going to come out into the Stanley Cup final this year. I'd probably lean at this moment to the top four on each side. I think they have an advantage easing into this thing, being ready to go for round one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But the dark horse team that nobody wants to talk about, that everyone overlooks, 
seems like they always do. To me, it's the Carolina Hurricanes. And I've liked the makeup of their team, <clears throat> watching their games. They've got a mix of everything. First of all, they got a coach that, from all everything I see from the outside looking in, he's got the command of that locker room. He's competitive. He wants to win. He speaks a little differently than other coaches. I think he can relate to the players well. He definitely gets a response out of his team. The way Carolina is built, they're fast. They're big. They all finish checks up front. They got some talented players. I love the two Finns, Ajo and Tara Vinen. Uh, the defense is strong. Now, Dougie Hamilton is a huge factor here. I think he's in the running for the Norris Trophy if he stays healthy all year, if he's going to play. That's a huge what if. But there's a guy on this roster that I think is going to be a top player in the league if he's not already in Sveshnikov. We talk about Quinn Hughes taking steps in his development. Kirby Doc, right? McDavid's going to be better. I think Sveshnikov's got a lot to grow into as a player. He's very talented. Uh, he's big. He's strong. He can protect the puck, and he's got great hands. So Carolina, to me, is a team that they can shut the game down. They can make it not fun to play out there. I know they're playing the Rangers. A lot of people are high on them. They can make plays. They're skilled. They're talented. But when you don't have a lot of time with the puck and you're well coached and you've got a team that's in your face, four lines, rolling it over, good team defense, those are the teams that you don't want to play against. I'm speaking from personal experience. I don't want to play against a team like that. Ugh, now i got to dig in. Now i got to compete. Now i got to be above the puck. i got to keep my head up. Uh, it makes it tough, especially when you haven't played a game in four or five months. So to answer your question, Carolina is a team I'm looking at to see how they, they come out here in the qualifying round. So Patrick, we we began the conversation discussing family, and so I was hoping that we could end it there. And I remember one of those years, all those years, you won the Stanley Cup blur. But I was flying in for the final game uh, from Calgary, and the person sitting in the opposite aisle was your brother Chris, and uh, and he was you know part of the group of of family members of the Chicago Blackhawks that were going to marshal there in the hopes that you guys. Uh, won the championship, and you did that night. And uh, it got me thinking a little bit about the, the importance of family when you get to the finish line. And so, you know, the players are all going to be in a bubble, and, and the ones that will be in the bubble the longest will be the ones that, that are, like, in the seventh or eighth week of it. What do you think the impact of family is going to be on this tournament? I mean, the NHL has got, you know, pictures of, of families in, in everybody's room, uh, you know, a, a lot of the conversation even leading into this was, you know, the difficulty of being separated, you know, for the teams that, that get to the end uh, from their family for extended periods of time. Can you just address, you know, how much you weigh the, you know, the on-ice competition that we're going to see and then, you know, the, the, the constraints that, that are going to be put on on the players, you know, the moments that they're not at the rink? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great point, And I think it's an awesome job that the Families, at least the plan from what I hear is they're going to come in at some point conference finals towards the end uh, and meet up with the players. That'll give those guys that have been in the bubble for a long time a huge boost. I mean, there's been a lot made of packing up, going on the road trip. Who knows when you're coming back? Let's face it. When we look at the schedule, a lot of these teams are going to be done in a couple of weeks, whether they want to or not. And they're going to be at home uh, after what, a three, four week little vacation in the bubble. So it's really the teams that go deep that are stuck in that bubble, that's where the mental fatigue sets in. Oh, geez, we're here eating in the cafeteria again. Same hotel room, back on the bus, practice. It's going to get uh, routine after a while. And to have a girlfriend, a wife, a son, a daughter, brother, parents, who knows, comes into the bubble, it's going to give these guys a huge boost. So I think that plays a factor. We experienced that at the World Championships with Hockey Canada. We head over. 
do a preliminary round, play some exhibition games, just the guys on the team, get to know each other, do some team bonding, play a few round robin games. And then towards the end of the tournament, here come the families. And all of a sudden that like takes everything to another level. So I'm anticipating that'll do that for the guys that are in the bubble. You know, it made me laugh during the whole process of, of what's you know, taking back weeks ago, months ago, when we didn't know what was going to happen with this tournament. I heard uh, players didn't want to leave their families. And I was thinking, geez, I've been on quarantine with an eight-year-old and a six-year-old and my wife. I couldn't wait to get out the house for a couple of weeks and go play hockey. That's not the issue for me. <laughs> but uh, I just want to say, I think it's great that the league and players came together and got this done. Not only the tournament set up and all the things that go into that, but knocking out a few more years on the CBA. A great job by the leadership of the NHL. Uh, the preseason games have looked great so far. I'm excited about what lies ahead. You guys might get sick of seeing me on NBC, uh, but that's your problem. You might have to deal with that in your own way. Patrick, I can tell you that never get tired of watching you, and uh, <laughs> I hope that things go well for you guys too. Travel safely. I know you're you got lots of back and forth in your uh, immediate future, so travel safely. Wear a mask. And thanks for coming to hang out with us today. It's been a ton of fun. It's uh, it's always great to catch up. So thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. Great to be on. And NBC's taking good care of us at the studio. And we're safe. And we're practicing all the social distancing. Thank God. I don't want to be too close to Milbury and Jones anyway. Six feet apart at all times. <laughs> That's too it. Maybe sad. 12. Go for 12. Too Go for 12. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Patrick. All right, guys. Talk soon. Eric, you know, I always... Back when Patrick was playing, always enjoyed chatting with him, Olympics in Sochi, all those kinds of things. But that was really tremendous. And uh, we're going to go to a break. But when we come back, I, I'm, I'm curious about what you unpack from what Patrick said. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Hey, basketball fans, the final 22 teams have made their way down to Orlando and are ready to get back out on the court. While the ending to this year's basketball season will be different than years past, there will not be a shortage of excitement. And there is no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. To celebrate the return of basketball, DraftKings will have not one, but two $1 million top prizes through the first two days of the resumed season. So get in on all of the action now. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy basketball is easy to play. Just pick eight players, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for three-pointers, rebounds, assists, and more. There's no better way to put your basketball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at $1 million. But if basketball isn't for you, don't worry. DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this week's tournament. With millions of dollars up for grabs this week, there is no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code RUN, R-U-N, to get a free shot at millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code RUN to get a free shot at millions of dollars with your first deposit, only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. I, so what, what do you take away from that, Eric? I, again, I thought Patrick was uh, he's such a pro, but he touched on a lot of really interesting things. I thought your question about the 2013 Blackhawks was insightful because it is, 
you know, the dynamics are fairly similar, except the stakes are so much higher. What do you take away? What do you, what did you, anything surprise you about what Patrick was, uh, was sharing with us? No, no. I mean, that, you know, like all of his answers are really thoughtful and that's why we reach out to people like Patrick Sharp because they, they have a lot to say and, and they have good insights into the game. Um, but I, I do think that, uh, you know, one of the threads that, that are, both of us were trying to explore was the importance of coaching, uh, in a, in a, especially in a shortened series. And, uh, and I'm with you. You know, to me, Florida versus Islanders, as, as much as I'm interested in, you know, the, you know, the matchup of, you know, Barzell against Barkov, uh, um, you know, the, the goaltending, you know, how, how is Bobrovsky going to look? You did a good profile of him. Um, you know, those are two of the, the elite coaches in, in, in the National Hockey League. And so, you know, if you look at some of the coaching matchups, you know, you do often have an experienced coach against someone that's you know, relatively inexperienced, not here. Here you've got two guys that are really good at pushing the buttons, who are good tactically and who are, who are also good motivationally. And so um, it's almost like a saw off. You know, I, I would I would I would give Joel Quenville the upper hand in, in almost any coaching matchup in, in the NHL. But then when it's Barry Trotz across the bench, it's like, you know, pick your poison, right? Both of these guys, are, it's going to be like a, a, a chess a chess match. And uh, and I do think his point about um, about coaches having less patience during the, the, the you know, especially these these first two rounds. I, I call the play-in round round one and then, then the first round of the playoffs round 1A because essentially we're getting two first rounds in this in this format. And you just, you know, you just have to hit the, the ground running. You just have no margin for error. I mean, he said it, you know, 67% of the National Hockey League would be gone after three weeks and then we're down to short strokes. So, you know, the idea that... Uh, that you know, that shortening the benches, getting the matchups that you want. You know, you think about home ice advantage in, in, in a in, in a neutral arena. Is there home ice advantage? Yes, there is. It's the team that you know that has the last change because I do think that there's going to be some some line matchups uh, in that particular series. So that uh, I think you know you you cannot ever underestimate the importance of coaching and preparation for a series. But I think in this particular uh, scenario that we're in, it, it's never been greater. And, and let's face it, you know, ever since they, they announced the format of this, you know, teams have been getting ready. Like, you know, you know, coaches have had months and months to scrutinize film and to, to digest it. In fact, I, I think the, the danger might be over analysis. And, and sometimes you get paralysis from that if you, if you go too far and focusing on, on the opponent at hand. And maybe sometimes you just have to worry about what you're doing and not what the other team is doing. But, uh, but yeah, that whole notion of, of coaching and the need to get, you know, off the mark really quickly. And, and I thought it was fascinating that he's, he said that, you know, before that great run started, he and Patrick Kane are looking at each other and it's like, we don't know what we are. And he ended up being pretty good. <laughs> you know what I loved about that? I love that Patrick knows that he was undefeated during that season. Oh yeah. That's a, uh, that's a perfect. That's a perfect. Well, he did the. I, I actually did look that up. He played twenty eight of the forty eight games, and he never lost a game in the regular season. That's that, <laughs> that's pretty great. So uh, that's good stuff. All right, I want to. I want to take the coaching thing another step. Uh, we're going to take another break, and when I come back, I want to ask you about some of the, you know, potential coaching mismatches uh, that we could see in this qualifying round. So stay with us. We'll be right back. If you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities, basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. 
That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. And with Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to getroman.com advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com advantage for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. So, Eric, I'm with you because the dynamics are so different. And I think that, you know, there's so much pressure now on the coaches to to make those right decisions and and not just make the right decisions, but do it in an accelerated fashion. And I I think there are some, you know, Patrick mentioned this and we talked about young players who may evolve basically before our eyes. And I wonder if we might see the same kind of dynamic with coaches, because we have a number of coaches who are experiencing the playoff hockey for the first time and under all these strange circumstances. And we're going to see whether they can rise to the occasion or not. But, I, you know, like I think Rod Brindamore hasn't, you know, he's only in his second year as head coach, but he I consider him kind of a veteran, but he's facing a David Quinn with the New York Rangers first time for him. You, you've got Dave Tippett, one of the great coaches of his generation, against Jeremy Colton in his first playoff experience with the Blackhawks. Um, and the one I'm really, you know, sort of fascinated by and which on paper looks like it could be a mismatch is John Tortorella, once again, a finalist for the Jack Adams. And, and I think probably the guy who should win it um, with the Columbus Blue Jackets. And Sheldon Keefe, he took over for Mike Babcock in Toronto. Uh, No bigger boiling saucepan of attention in the hockey world than the Toronto Maple Leafs. And and, and that's who Sheldon Keefe gets to face off uh, against a guy like John Tortorella. What do you make of this sort of veteran, you know, new newbie for want of a better term nhl coaches who are going to be thrown into the fire in this kind of uh playoff dynamic yeah well i checkmarked three series scott when we talked about uh, doing this and the ones i checkmarked were winnipeg calgary edmonton chicago and toronto columbus and probably toronto columbus is the most extreme case because you're right um you know john tortorella um two-time jack adams winner uh, if you look at you know columbus's roster on paper and you look at Toronto's roster on paper it, it should be a mismatch I mean Toronto does have a better team they, they just flat out are better um, you know they got more uh, high-end offensive talent um, they've got surprisingly decent blue line and uh, and I think that you know Freddie Anderson at this stage of his career compared to the you know the you know Corpusala who had a, a real good year for for uh, Columbus before he got hurt and then Merz Lickens showed us something when he came in in relief but the reality is Anderson is far more established uh, uh, in goals so it, it, you know if, if if Columbus has a chance it's because of the way John Tortorella will game plan against the Leafs and, and you can be sure that, that 
you know, they will have a defensive game plan. They, they basically will take the same plan that they used against Tampa last year to shut down that high potent offense and, and try and use it against Toronto. So then it's a matter of, you know, you know, Toronto anticipating what Columbus is going to do. You know, are they, you know, creating tactics in order to, to break their defensive shot? They have had a long time to, to look at the way Columbus has played. You know, the only reason that Columbus has had virtually the, same, the identical record, really, to Toronto was because they played such a great defensive system. So how do you break that down? Well, you know, you know, maybe in, in other years, when if you don't know your matchup until a couple of days before the, the playoffs, you don't have time to prepare. The one thing that Toronto had was time. And so I, I, I yeah, I'm, 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 I'm interested in the outcome of that series. And, you know, when, however it turns out, when we reflect back, if we're, if we're having a conversation about it, you know, how did it unfold? Because, like I said, I think the one advantage that these younger coaches have is they've had more time to prepare for the the opponent at hand in this round, um, and so they'll be ready. Now, you know, as the rounds advance, because there's going to be reseeding in this this tournament, you will not have that kind of preparation for subsequent rounds, and therefore it'll, it'll be a little bit more by the seat of your pants. So, so that's one series. You know, I mean, I, I just think Dave Tippett tactically is is fantastic i mean you know patrick made a reference in our conversation about losing to the the phoenix coyotes one year when they were part of that chicago dynasty and the reality is you know they the, the reason they did that was because Tippett in, instituted such a great defensive uh coverage there so anyway so we'll, we'll see how that whole thing plays out yeah i'm interested too and i think that's a great point that you know even though john tortorella versus sheldon keefe is not a great matchup for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You're right. The time is a mitigating factor there. So, um, and you mentioned Calgary, Winnipeg, and it, we've touched on this in the past. I, I, I still remain fascinated by the fact that people hate the Flames. <laughs> they're completely dismissive of them, and yet they're, you know, they're, they're that lineup has lots to like about it. And I think that series is going to be terrific. But I, I think there is something, you know, Paul Maurice is one of the most He's one of the longest tenured coaches in the NHL. His successes, um, you know, even though, uh, you know, he hasn't won a Stanley Cup, but he's been to a final. He's coached internationally. He's like, there's so much to like about Paul Maurice. And you've got Jeff Ward, who came in after the Bill Peters uh, fiasco early in the season. Uh, but I, I think Jeff Ward may be a bit underappreciated because he, he did stellar work in Boston. You know, you talk to, to, to people who uh, played under him when he was an assistant um, in Boston. He's a, he's a very good coach, I think. But th- to me, Calgary is one of those teams that has a lot. Uh, there's a lot riding on, on that this play-in round and what happens this spring. I mean, you're in Calgary. Is, is that overstating it? Do you think? No, no, no. You've hit the nail on the head. You know, I, I think that... Um, you know, I mean, I'm not sure that everybody realizes or remembers that a year ago they had the second best record in the yeah. National Hockey League, tied with the Boston Bruins, yes. uh, and and they were they, they were excellent from start to finish, and then they 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 were they were poor in the playoffs. Poor. They won a game. They they didn't deserve to win any. They should have lost in five. They should have lost five in a row in that series because Colorado <laughs> outplayed them from every minute all, all the way along. It was it really was that one sided, and so there's an awful lot of pressure on the top 
players in Calgary. You know, as, as good as Johnny Gaudreau has been, and at times there's been, you know, he's he's pushed for, for the scoring title in, in the National Hockey League. He still hasn't had a lot of playoff success. The same with uh, Sean Monaghan. You know, uh, Elias Lindholm is, you know, one of the real underrated great two-way players in the game eventually will be in the in the Selkie Trophy conversation. So they have good pieces in, in, in Calgary, really good pieces. And, and you know, Mark Giordano didn't have the kind of year this year they had last year when he was the runaway Norris Trophy winner, but he's still a really viable, excellent defenseman who, you know, leads by example and, and through his words too. So it's a matter of, you know, can those pieces come together? And, and the history of Calgary really since they won the Stanley Cup in, in 1989, is to have underachieving playoffs after pretty good regular seasons. And I think people in Calgary are, are just so nervous now about any playoff round just because, you know, this organization hasn't had a whole lot of playoff his, his success. And then the other side of the coin is Winnipeg. Now, Patrick pointed out, and he's right, that how you played going into the break has nothing to do with how you come out of the break because four and a half months have passed. But the reality is Winnipeg was excellent. They finally, finally were able to get it going after losing, you know, essentially the entire right side of their of their defense, um, losing key players to injuries all the way through the season. You know, Blake Wheeler for a while had to play center because they just didn't have anybody there. So they f- it looked like everything was coming together there in Winnipeg. So, you know, can they get that back right away because if they can get that back right away i mean you know patrick's talking about dark horses for the stanley cup you know when we were doing our fantasy pool the other day i i think winnipeg's a dark horse to, to win the stanley cup i mean they were in the conference final just a couple of years ago when they when they lost to vegas and i thought i thought they were going to beat vegas i thought they were going to be in the stanley cup final so most of those pieces except for the right side of that defense are still in place that you know five terrific terrific forwards um they have a goaltender that's a, a Vezina trophy finalist and they did rebuild that defense a little bit you know, dylan Demello coming in at the at the trade di- deadline was was good for them um cody eakin a real under the radar pickup because they they've slid him in on, on that second line and he's been been really good he's he has ties to that market and uh i, I think he's going to be a better fit than some of the other guys that they've tried to uh, acquire to, to fill that hole at, at, in past deadlines. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a coin toss. A, a whole bunch of these series, those eight, nine series are, are coin tosses. And, and it's possible that, you know, like one little tweak, one little adjustment by a coaching staff is going to be the, the tipping point. Yeah. Can't wait for it to start, my friend. Okay, we're going to take one more break. We're going to come back and uh, wrap things up for this edition of Two Man Advantage. So, Don't go anywhere, and we will be right back. You know what no one has ever said? I love my high student loan payment. Yep, no one has ever said that. And it's time now to get your student loan payments under control. You could be saving by refinancing your student loans with earnest. Is your student loan payment too high? Of course, they all are. Is water wet? Well, refinancing with earnest could help you lower your monthly payment. Interest rates have hit record lows, which means it's a great time to refinance your student loans and see if you can lower your monthly payment. If you've been making the same monthly payment on your student loans for the last couple of years, odds are you could reduce your payment and save by refinancing with earnest. Even if you've refinanced before, with today's low environment, most people could save by refinancing again. Checking your new rate is fast and easy. To start, complete a few questions online. It only takes two minutes. 
Then you'll get a personalized rate estimate without affecting your credit score. Plus, there's no origination fee or any other fees. Plus, the internet loves Ernest's customer service. They're rated 9.4 out of 10 on Trustpilot. And now you can get a $100 cash bonus when you refinance a student loan with Ernest.com slash two-man. Once again, you get a $100 cash bonus when you refi your student loan at Ernest.com slash two-man. Not available in all states, but visit Ernest.com slash two-man for more details, terms, and AMP conditions apply. Ernest Student Loan Refinance Loans are made by Ernest Operations, LLC, NMLS, number 120-4917. California Financing Law License Number 6054788, 303 2nd Street, Suite 401N, San Francisco, California, 94107. Visit Ernest.com slash licenses for a full list of licensed states. All right, Eric, before we wrap things up on this edition of Two Man Evangelism, can I just say this? I, I know Pierre will be returning from his uh, sojourn in the Muskokas, and it's been an absolute treat to have you come and join me for the last three or four weeks it's been a ton of fun and i know we're going to do some more regular sort of mini pods once the uh, action starts on the weekend and so hopefully you'll be able to slide in and do that but it's been a ton of fun to have you come and hang out with me so thank you for doing that so, so i haven't bumped pierre off the show yet oh darn <laughs> <laughs> well it, it never say never eric never say never that's for sure <laughs> Um, all right, two things I want to touch on uh, before we close out. Um, one is sort of, I, you know, maybe could be both positive, but certainly on a very positive note, uh, Seattle unveils its uh, jersey and logo, and we know it's a Seattle Kraken. Uh, you've done a fair amount of work uh, over the months uh, following what's happening with the uh, the new Seattle team. Uh, what do you make of the unveil? And are you a thumbs up or thumbs down guy on the Kraken? Yeah, I, I'm a thumbs up. And uh, I said, I called around Francis uh, that actually the day that they made the announcement. And, uh, and I told him, I, I said, you know, I mean, I, I'm like a lot of people. I, sometimes I have a hard time when I first see a logo to sort of sit there and digest it. And, and I think a lot of people are like that when, when you, when it's new, you know, your first response is, eh, I'm not sure, but but I didn't have that feeling. When I saw the colors, I loved them. Uh, when I saw the, uh, the, the, the primary logo and the secondary logo, I loved them. And the way they're sort of using that eye, that little, is very, very clever in, in their social media messaging. So I, I really, I like the name. Um, I like the look. I, I like everything about it. And, and that's not usually how I would react. In fact, I, I would tell you that the, the last time I reacted to something like that, was when San Jose came in 1991. I raised this with, with Ron. I said, you were still playing then. I said, what was your reaction as a player when you first came across that teal and, and, and the logo? Because the one thing about San Jose was that that was a poor team for the first couple of years, but their merchandise sold a ton. And I, and I think it really changed the way NHL teams saw that as a revenue stream. I mean, everybody was doing t-shirts and hats and, and, and whatnot up to that point. But the sheer volume of, of, of stuff 
that uh, that San Jose was able to sell because because of the color scheme and and because it it became like a thing to have not just in that market but around the National Hockey League you know that that ushered in this era that we were in right now thirty years later of of you know NHL Shop dot com and 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 merchandise and and so. So I, I think Seattle absolutely hit it out of the park. I, I think that that stuff is going to move like crazy, and um, and then you know just you know the idea that uh, uh, you know even in a worldwide pandemic they're still pushing forward with their scouting and, and developing strategies of of how to conduct their expansion draft. Uh, you know, roughly probably going to be you know just around a year from now or maybe under a year from now. So uh, I think the overall professionalism that that organization has showed. Uh, you know, continues to not, it doesn't surprise me because of the people running it, but, but I think that they're going to get off to a, a, on a really good foot because, because they seem to be doing everything the right way right now. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And, and it's been, listen, it's been hard for them, right? I mean, they, you know, like everyone else, they had a timetable, they had a way in, in which they'd hoped to unveil things and they had to change on the fly. They had to, you know, they had to adjust to the NHL schedule with return to play and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I think they've done a, a marvelous job. I, I'm, I love the Kraken. I think it's you only get one chance to do it, right? I mean, you can change your, you know, colors and all those kinds of things. But if you don't get it right the first time, it just it, it, it takes a long time to make up ground. And I thought they I'm with you. I thought they hit it out of the park. Um, and finally, uh, when we talk about the Western Conference bubble in Edmonton, one person who will not be in Edmonton, we know for sure, is John Chaka, the late former GM, not late, but uh, as of late, <laughs> the former GM of the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, just uh, and the timing is so Arizona, right? It's just so Coyotes. Uh, the, literally the day the team is flying into Edmonton um, and another fascinating team with Rick Tockett and Phil Kessel and Taylor Hall, the Darcy Cumper. It's that I'm, I have no sense of, you know, that team is a team that could win a round or two easily. Uh, but now without their GM who quit on the team uh, moments before the uh, start of the playoffs, uh, Steve Sullivan, assistant GM, now will be the interim GM. And and now I think, you know, from my perspective, ownership has a real, they have an opportunity now to rebuild their hockey ops department, uh, maybe correct some wrongs from the past. Uh, to me, a guy like Shane Doan has to be included uh, if if Shane Doan is up for it, um, but moving forward and a real opportunity. But it, it's not a great look for this team uh, at a critical time. Do, do you agree or what was your take on that? Yeah. Well, no, no, of course I agree. And, and, and so I was trying to sort of reflect on, you know, um, on what it means in in the short term, because I think in your reporting for the Athletic, you did a really good job of of outlining the possibilities of you know medium and, and long term uh, outcomes for Arizona. But but what are we focused on? You know they're they're going to play an exhibition game here and then and then start playing in this in this round robin and and a couple of the moves that John Chaikin made one to bring in Taylor Hall in midseason and then of course to add Phil Kessel in the offseason so that you know that the Phil Kessel whisper Rick talk at the coach in Arizona you know could could get something out of him that they didn't have the year before because Arizona was a good team a year ago 
didn't make the playoffs, even though they made a great run because of injuries, and they didn't have that finisher or that game-breaker. So defensively, they were excellent. They rode Darcy Kemper's goaltending, and, and they were a dangerous, lurking opponent, and then just didn't have enough offensively to get it done. So this year, they go out and, and bring in two established NHL players. Phil Kessel has had you know, a lot of playoff success in, in Pittsburgh for those two years, and Taylor Hall, who wasn't that far removed from being the MVP of the National Hockey League. And, and Kessel was just okay, and Taylor Hall was good. He, he was good, but he wasn't MVP good. So both of these players have a chance for massive redemption right now. And I think that, you know, we talk about uh, coaching staff and, and focus and messaging. You know, I think both players realize that this is an opportunity to, to do more than, than they had done earlier in the season. And, you know, they've, you know, you look at their one to six defense core, pretty good. You know, Kemper has been one of those underrated stars in the National Hockey League for a, a while now. He hasn't just been a flash in the, in, in the pan. And, you know, they, they have a, a, a serviceable group of, of forwards beyond beyond the two that I just mentioned. So I think that they have a shot at, at you know, winning a round or winning a couple of rounds and, and making some noise. And, you know, I often think about the success that, uh, that the Phoenix Coyotes had when Dave Tippett was coaching there. It, it seemed that there was almost an us-against-the-world mentality that fueled them. You know, that was during the time of the bankruptcy uh, and NHL ownership. And, and I think that, that the coaching staff there used that to galvanize the team and, and, you know, put the focus inward and say, okay, we're a team and we're going to block out all of the outside noise. We're just going to get the job done in here and we're going to show people, you know, that, that we have good players here and that we can be the, uh, better than the sum of our parts. So I, I, I hope that that is the message there, that, you know, John Chike is no longer in, in the picture. He helped assemble this group. Let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can do. So I, I think that they can do a very effective job, especially being in a bubble of blocking all of that out. You know, they takes a couple of days to answer the questions. It's out of the way right now. The focus can be on hockey, and let's see what they do. I think it would be so Arizona Coyotes <laughs> if they... Once again, like you mentioned, 2012. This is the first time they've been in the playoffs since then. Went to a Western Conference final. Uh, it would be so Arizona if on the, the, the heels of this rather ugly separation with John Chayka that they actually have some success. So anyway, we'll see how it, it would goes. Be, it would be so Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend. Uh, this week on the Full 60 with Craig Custance. I don't know if we keep track, but uh, I'm told it could be a possible record for guests on a podcast, as uh, we'll hear from 18 of the Athletics hockey writers covering uh, Return to Play. So check out the full 60 this week. Um, How about Thomas Placanek, former Hab, joining Arpon Basu and Marc-Antoine Godin at the Athletic Support this week at the Athletic. That might be my favorite pod name in the athletic universe the athletic support and Islanders co-owner John Ledecky and Tim Laiwicki CEO of the Oakview Group Oakview Group joined Arthur Staple on No Sleep Till Belmont for an update on the Islanders Arena project so check that out and we would like you as always to check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app and don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And don't forget, if you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. And next week, we're going to be in the thick of it. 
Pierre Lebrun's floaty has sprung a leak, so the boys uh, will be returning as per usual with two-man advantage next week, and uh, we'll see what we come up with then. And Eric, I don't think this is the last time we've uh, you and I will share this space, so thank you again for filling in so ably. Uh, my pleasure, Scott, and uh, whenever you need me, I'm here at the end of the computer tether. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect.